This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Kensington's newest title by Jody Thomas, Dinner on Primrose Hill. A slice of Americana delivered with her characteristic warmth, endearing characters, and authentic Texan flair. The third Honey Creek novel by New York Times bestselling author Jody Thomas takes readers to Clifton Bend, Texas, a small college town where two very different scientists must team up on an experiment on the chemistry of mating. Can these two opposites attract and quantify the science of love? Well, Benjamin Monroe has his life all mapped out. His colleague Virginia Clark is not one for routines. The chatty Cathy convinces him to collab on a research project studying the mating habits of college students. Virginia, though, has other desires motivating her to work with Benjamin, and she hopes he feels the same. Soon enough, their project picks up steam and the whole town has become involved in the chemistry of mating. But no matter what the data determines, one conclusion seems inescapable. Love follows its own rules. You can find A Dinner on Primrose Hill by Jody Thomas wherever books are sold. Find more at kensingtonbooks.com. Did you know that Kinda Dating Now has merch? Yep, we collaborated with tpublic.com to create t-shirts, hoodies, mugs, stickers, iPhone cases, and so much more. Picking up one of our items is a great way to support the show and grab some swag for yourself. So swing over to tpublic.com or follow the link in the description of this episode to grab yours today. Hey guys, thanks for listening to Kinda Dating, the comedy dating podcast where I, your host, Natasha Chandel, and some cool guests break down the dating world and try to figure out why the fuck do we all have commitment issues? Today's topic is mindfulness and dating. How do we do it? Let's find out. Hello, friends. I'm Natasha Chandale. You're listening to Kinda Dating. Remember to subscribe to this podcast wherever you get it and tell your friends. Also, leave us a five-star rating or review wherever you get your podcasts, but especially on Apple Podcasts. It helps us a lot. Aisha is not here with us today, but you can follow us on social media. We're at Kinda Dating across the board. Aisha is at Aisha Says Dance. And I am your complicated friend. So I'm at Natasha Chandel on Instagram, Natasha underscore Chandel on Twitter, Natasha dot Chandel on TikTok. Keep track of that. I have an amazing guest with us today. I've actually had the pleasure of hanging out with her in real life. And she is the real deal. She's a mindfulness educator, founder of Inner Map, host of the podcast Lights On, 
is a senior educator at UCLA's Mindful Awareness Research Center. I mean, my gosh, she does it all. Um, guys, welcome Mitra Manesh. Hi, Natasha. Hi, everyone. Hi, how are you? I'm excellent. Thank you. You just got back from Turkey. I did. It was amazing. I was speaking at a conference called The Harvest, and uh, it was amazing. Lots of interesting people and lots of uh, amazing conversations. Oh, I love hearing that. I, I've always really wanted to go there. It's a uh, beautiful place. Is it? Mm. Oh. Um, well, friends, I'm actually, uh, you know, speaking out of New York right now. Uh, I'm performing at the New York Comedy Festival, which is why Aisha couldn't be here because um, we're just in different time, like fucking coasts right now. So it's, it's hard to coordinate sometimes. Um, but we're so excited to have Mitra. And Mitra, we ask every guest the exact same first question. So we have to ask you too, single or in a relationship? Oh, in a very good relationship. <laughs> nice. I like hearing the very good part also. <laughs> very okay. healthy because we worked very hard. And I'm hoping that I'll share some of the tips and, and things that has um, or have worked for us to uh, with your you know listeners. Yeah, no, we're, we're, I'm so excited because uh, mindfulness is something I've really wanted to talk about for a long time. And it's difficult finding the right person to be able to talk about it. So I'm so excited to have you. Um, you know, can you explain to people, because I think this term has been thrown around a lot lately. It's kind of a, you know, a little new trend. Um, but what exactly is mindfulness and can it be applied to dating? Mm. Great question to start with. Yes, absolutely. Let me just explain. It has many, many different definitions, but the one that I have coined and I use and, and teach from is that mindfulness is being aware and accepting of our present moment experience with curiosity and compassion. So I talked about five elements. One, was awareness, of course, the first step to anything that is, uh, you know, contemplative and, and uh, awake is that sense of awareness. And and opposite of that is when we're on autopilot, we're doing, saying, then, you know, being in a uh, programmed way. Then the second aspect was presence. What does that mean? You're here, I'm here. What do you mean presence? What I mean is that your body is here, but my question to you is, where's your attention? You could be right back with your um, other half while you're talking to me. So where your body and your attention meet at the same place, that's presence. The third word I used was accepting. Why accepting? Because sometimes when I am present, present is not pleasant. So <laughs> what do I do? I jump up and go somewhere else. I can't accept this. I don't. Well, acceptance here is not a legal term. It's basically saying, understanding and accepting the facts of life. For instance, we're in the middle of a pandemic still, and it's better that we accept that so that we can make an informed and educated decision. The fourth word that I used was curiosity. What does that mean? That means being open-minded, basically, because if I'm not curious, I'm probably judgmental, meaning the difference is with judgment, I say, I don't know, I don't fully know, but I think I'm right. <laughs> so my way is better than yours. Why do you put your hair down? Why are you wearing blue? Why did you do this? Um, whereas curious says, mm, 
I don't know, or I may even know, but I'm really, really interested to find out more. Tell me about the color that you wear. Tell me how you do your hair like this. Tell me why you do a podcast called this. Like, I'm interested to find out. And that's honestly the reason I'm here, because I thought, "Mm, I wonder what that, what does she talk about? I mean, I met you, you're right. We met in Los Angeles for a friend's uh, birthday. Yeah, it was. And and they're like interested to find out more. What does she do? What is her podcast all about? So curiosity. The last but not the least is the compassion. Because as we become aware, as we become present to our experiences, we will go through a lot of things that are not really the way we want them to be. So compassion, which means kindness at difficult times, is an absolute important ingredient of being mindful. So that's mindfulness. And yes, absolutely, it can. And I really use this word, it needs to be and should be used in dating. And, uh, you know, there's a, a lot of myth where, like, does mindfulness mean, maybe it's not a myth, you have to tell me, is it, is it that mindfulness is like, you have to be meditating all day? Like, can you just Can you be mindful while being awake out and about interacting with people? Because I think there's a lot of people who steer clear of it because they think it's some Mm -hmm. religious practice or again, yeah, like they have to sit and meditate and everybody's like, I don't have time. Mm-hmm. Yes, it is. A, it is a myth, and um, um, it is. It has nothing to do with a religion. The way, at least, the secular way that I teach it. I'm sure the source of it came from an ism. Most things do, uh, but that's irrelevant. You you become a selector of what is, works for you. I really don't mind where the things come from, as long as they can be applied in my life and enhance my life. So that's the source. Of course, it comes originally from Buddhism, uh, but I'm not a Buddhist, definitely. I've been taught by Buddhist teachers, but got nothing to do with me. I just learned what I learned and I'm applying what I apply. Um, Meditation is one tool, only one, that can be used in order to live more mindfully. So just let's see what meditation is. Meditation is that you and I sit in a corner and close the door and turn off everything and maybe close our eyes. And in a very isolated and artificial sense of our life, we go in right? And even then we find things that are not pleasant. Oh my God, I'm thinking about this. I'm judging that. I'm remembering this. And we practice. We practice being with ourselves. We practice watching ourselves in a kind way. We practice being an observer and a witness to what's going on inside of us. But that's only one tool. Then the question is, when I come out, of that meditation space, if I'm a meditator, how do I lead my life? How do I live my life? And that is really the most important aspect of mindfulness and meditation. Can I live the way I meditate? So here's the secret. I know many very good meditators that do not lead a mindful life. I know many non-meditators that are quite mindful in the way they lead their life. So are they dependent on each other? No. Does meditation help? Absolutely. It really helps, but it's not necessary. And, you know, you said something interesting because I think people really get stuck with 
you know, you said there's um, learning to be with yourself mm. also, right? And the first part of dating is learning to sit alone with yourself because we're always, we're in this environment and world now where we don't like to be alone, even for a moment. And so we're always filling in the gap, whether it's with social media or in a dating app or on a date or with somebody. Mm-hmm. And I know as a former serial dater that I had to stop. I had to forcefully make myself stop to be able to look back and really reflect and do the introspection and the work needed to go like, what is missing? How come I just keep going like a hamster in a wheel? <laughs> but why in, why do you think it is so hard for people to be mindful and even like experience that step mm-hmm. of just being with yourself first? Because it's hard. It's hard. You see, if I don't know me, it's so easy to blame you if I'm not feeling good right now. It's so easy. Oh, I don't think she knows what she's like. But when I know me, I realize, ooh, a lot of it is me. A lot of it is me. And that is hard because if the problem is you, I can just criticize you. But if the problem is something that, you know, I need to attend to, then it comes with work. It comes with responsibility. So, and and in the context of dating is fascinating that people always come to me, young people, you know, because I teach at UCLA and I see a lot of young people. And as a result, I have a lot of private young clients. And they say like, yeah, I'm ready to date. I'm ready to get into a relationship. I said, who? They say like, I. I say, who? They say, I. I say, uh, who are you? And you say, well, what do you mean? Me? And they say their name. I said, no, 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 I know your name. But who are you? Who is going to be dating? Do you know you? So like, what? I say, do you know you? Do you know what your needs are? Do you know what your strengths are? Do you know what you're looking for? Do you know what ticks you? Do you know what feeds you? Do you know what elevates you? They say, no, well, not, uh, no. I say, well, then date you first, date you first, and then you know who to date. It becomes so much easier. When I know who is dating, then I know what I'm looking for and who I need to be dating. Oh, it's such a beautiful thing that you just said. It's so true. And also like, I mean, also when you say who, there's also this element of like, we are always identified with, with what we think is a certain part of us. Right. And when you realize who you are sort of at an even deeper level, Mm -hmm. you don't get as triggered by things anymore because you realize, I mean, it's that old Carl Jung quote, right? (laughs) You are not the things that happen to you, Mm -hmm. but we are so identified. Like I'm sure so many people, if you said, who are you? They would say, I'm this name. I do this job. I am blah, blah, blah. I went through this experience. It's like, no, no. Who are you? Yes. And then we get stuck like finding the words for that. But when you really get to that place where you're like, oh, I'm not those things that happened. Mm -hmm. Yes, you acknowledge things have happened to us in our lives, but then you become less reactive. Exactly. Exactly. And really knowing Uh, who am I? Who do I want to be more? And where really do I want to go in life? What do I mean by dating? What is my purpose? I mean, that becomes the second question after I get to know myself. Um, Why am I dating? So people say, I want to start dating. I say, why? 
He said, well, doesn't anybody date? Everybody date? I said, yeah, but what are you dating? Do you want to have a great time? Do you want to have a partner? Are you looking long term? And if the answer is yes, oh, oh, like whole door opens now. Let's explore that. What's it? I remember three young women came to me many years ago. They were like, you know, classmates and friends and they went to college together and they were graduating and they all, you know, they couldn't afford a session. So three of them came in one session. And it was really interesting how we went through. And one of them knew me very well, had taken classes with me and everything. And so I went through them and said, um, okay, you guys are ready to get into a place that you can date for a long-term relationship and marriage. So tell me, who are you and who do you want to date? And it was fascinating. The one that who had the most clarity was the one that was criticized by her friends. And she said like, I need this, I need that. And they said, oh no, we're not like that. As if that's a problem because she was very clear. And at the end I said, actually, you know what? I think uh, first of all, it's not my business what she's looking for. Whatever she's looking for, she's looking for for herself. So I don't need to approve that. But the fact that she has that much clarity, it probably means that she's going to get there much faster and much more um, efficiently, meaning she will get there. And lo and behold, you know, a few years later, two of them are still like not sure what they're doing and not even in a relationship. And the other one is in a very serious relationship and about to make it uh, official. Am I saying that's a good thing? No. What is the good thing? It wasn't the speed. It's the clarity that is so important. That what am I looking for? And you don't need to romanticize that. You need to really clarify that and make sure you know what you're looking for and who are you which really determines what you're looking for. It's an it's such an important question to ask yourself, right? Like I'm curious with these three girls or or just with anybody who might have come to you. There are some people, like especially young people, right? Like you could be in college and I've kind of asked this question but obviously in a different way more just colloquially with people like when they hit me up and you know people want dating advice. I'm just sort of like what are you looking for and and everybody thinks that they want to date, but then some people honestly come out and say I mean, I don't actually want to be in a serious relationship because like I'm still in college or I'm still growing up and I blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But then I say, well, like that's important for you to say that. Mm-hmm. And then how can you add mindfulness to a thing that doesn't seem deep, but it's not a wrong thing, right? Like you can't tell, you know, a 20 year old, I-, I wouldn't really advise a 20 year old either to want to be in a serious relationship like the one for their lifetime because I'm like you're you're growing so much but how can like a 20 year old who's in college who just wants to have some fun wants to experience something new but like not settle down and still be mindful so that that they are not becoming the classic mind my language fuck boy or fuck girl or fuck person you know like how can they do that Yes. Well, that clarity really helps. So it is not actually a superficial thing or not a deep thing, because just think about what happens when we date. First of all, this is not a mid-century whatever, you know, and we need to go through partners in order to get to know ourselves. But that has a lot of value. So what I'm doing is when I'm just dating, I'm getting to know myself. 
I'm getting to know what works for me, what doesn't. Oh, I thought this because we we see movies, we read books, and then we assume what we need. Whereas our needs only become very evident to us when we actually take it to real life and try it out. It's like shoes. You know, they look really great uh, when you see it on display, but then you put your feet in and you think, oh, no way I'm going to walk in these. Or fantastic, I'm so comfortable. Relationships are the same thing. So that's not a waste of time. People call it, I wasted my time. I said, no, you didn't. You really got to know yourself. Sometimes through what I don't want, is that I find out what I do want from what not being myself that I realize, oh, I really need to be organically me. I really, that's not sustainable. I pretended I'm this, I pretended I'm that, and that's not what I want. So we need to give it value. And here is the elements of mindfulness that will be helpful. Bring curiosity to the so-called temporary dating and relationships in order with the intention of knowing me while respecting the relationship. Because when we call it, it's only for effing and it's only for that, we're actually discounting ourselves and our partners because they also have value. I mean, those people who I call it for, they came to our life with visitor's visa, they also added to our life. We got to know, I mean, God bless them. I know, I mean, I'm much longer history than you do, but I, I bless them quite often and say thank you for letting me know what I do want or what I don't want, who I am and who I am not. So really bringing the value and then adding curiosity, which allows every relationship, even though it may be mainly uh, sexual, to allow you to see how important it is for you to be sexual? How are you receiving pleasure? How do you want to give pleasure? How do you want to show up in this dance of sexuality and intimacy? These are important points to find out. We don't come with it. There's no manual for it. So we need to explore ourselves through being in partnership. Yeah, I have a great, you know, two examples of that for me. Um, I was in an abusive relationship um, now, maybe like 10 years ago. And, you know, it broke me. It, it was a truly abusive relationship. It put me in therapy for years. It was physical, emotional, intellect, all of it. Right. And um, I remember coming out of it being very broken, took years. And when I finally came out of it, I started seeing it for what it was and and I made so many changes in my life, especially when it came to boundaries and, and how I wanted to be respected. And I remember saying to myself, and I think I've said it on the podcast too, I thank him. Mm-hmm. I would never thank him to his face because I'm like, fuck you. But at the same time, I'm like, thank you. Because if I didn't go through that, I would never have really changed and never have really transformed to being who I think I am now, who I like much better in a way than the person that was. I mean, there's an element of innocence I miss of that person, Mm -hmm. but she had no boundaries. And I'm like, you can't live like that. And it's actually not a positive way to live, or I thought I was, Mm -hmm. but I had no self-respect in that. Um, So in, in a sense, I thanked him. And then coming out of him, I went through this phase of like, I, you know, I was very like, 
fuck it, can't beat them, join them. So I did five and a half years. I was fucking around. I was doing whatever I wanted to do, whoever I wanted to do. And uh, and I became what, you know, was a pretty open commitment phobe. And I call myself a reformed commitment phobe on the podcast. And it was because I had a sexual experience where there was this guy. I kind of always had him in my Rolodex. You know, how how old am I? I just said Rolodex. But you know what I mean? <laughs> um, and one night I, I, I went over just to fill a need. And I realized, like, as soon as we had sex, I, like, looked at my fake watch on my hand. And I was like, yeah, I, I got to go. And I just sat in the car and I cried. Not because I thought anything. I was just like, oh, I think I hit that point where there was a point I could have sex and I felt nothing. I was like, it's good. It filled my need, whatever. Then there came a point that was even no longer fulfilling. Mm. I was like, even I was like, oh, I've had enough sex. Now what? Then I knew, oh, shit, I'm ready. Mm. And so then, like, I started working, you know, my way out of that. But those moments were all pointers. Mm -hmm. To where I, my, to my evolution, basically. Exactly. Uh, first of all, I'm sorry for your abusive uh, oh. experience and relationship. Um, secondly, when we bring a sense of mindfulness to that process, we expedite the process and we reduce the pain. So when I am mindful, uh, it's not like I will never make a wrong decision or I'm never actually that that's an impossibility anyways. But what happens is, I am more alert, so I realize faster that this is not feeding me and this is not really fulfilling me, even though I physically feel, you know, satisfied. It's like food. You know, sometimes you go and you had a huge food, but you feel still hungry. So you're full, but you're hungry. You're not fully satisfied. Relationships to some degree are the same. When we don't get the substance that we're looking for, you see, I'm very careful with the words I'm using. I'm not saying when the person is not substantial. I'm saying when I am not receiving the substance that I'm looking for, because it's not about the person and how bad they are. Where we usually go there. Again, it's like instead of coming back to my side, I go and attack them. Of course, there was something you know missing, but missing for me. I'm sure there's a partner for them that will love the way they are as they are. But I'm looking for a different kind of substance. So I go and look for it there. When I am present to my experiences, when I am aware of what's going on inside of me, my tick, my alarm talks much faster, I think. And, and that's exactly the difference between leading a mindful life or not very mindful life. We all will always get it. It's like, yes, of course, uh, when I get sick and I'm in a hospital, I may understand the food I ate was not appropriate. But the question is, and this is a test I want to um, run by the listeners, that when the food is on the table, and I'm talking about a gorgeous looking, fancy looking food, can you connect with it and see if it's satisfying for you and if it's calling you or not? That's a good place to start before you get into relationships because you're learning to connect with the, uh, an inner wisdom that is always there and always ready to speak with you. But we're just too busy and have no time for it. Ask yourself, this, is this for me? And then before I fully eat it or before even I eat it, I may actually realize that this may not be for me. Mm. 
It's like uh, reminds me of Marie Kondo who talks about like, you know, when she when you're rearranging your house, she talks about it as uh, like, does this give you joy? Like that item, like, do you want to keep it or let it go? And she just basically asks us, makes you like hold the item and say, like, is this giving me joy? And uh, but it's interesting what you're saying, right? To like really think about it before. Mm -hmm you get into something like before I'm eating that mac and cheese, I'm like, is this really going to be uh, add value to to my day or am I going to get sick from eating this mac and cheese yes. after? Um, exactly. I have a question for you. So how can how can people remain present, which obviously I think is a, a very important aspect of mindfulness, right? How can people remain present, though, when, you know, I'll give you a couple examples. Like when you're on a date, but you're so nervous already. Like how can people get back to being present? Or when somebody's fucking pushing your buttons, you know, like you, you're, you're on a date with somebody and we've all had them. Like there's an annoying person who's just purposely saying things to get under your skin. <laughs> or how do you stay present when somebody like you really like somebody and they don't like you back? Mm -hmm. You know, we've all had crushes and or you're dating somebody and they're just not that into you and they're treating you like shit. Like, how do you remain present to make the right decisions in those moments mm -hmm. when you're already in the middle of stimuli? Yes. So you had many questions in one question. Let me separate yeah, yeah. them because they had different answers. So you said when you're anxious, first of all, uh, when I'm anxious, that means that I'm in the future. Anxiousness always. Oops always needs a future. So uh, that means, where, where are we when we're not present? Let's talk about that. Let's talk about presence. So there's three places that we can go to. One is the past, one is the future, and one is the present moment time. Really, present and future are illusionary. They do not exist because when past existed, it was in the moment anyway. So we really have only present moment. We have an illusion about the fact that I am going as if it's a place I go to, to the past or the place I go to, which is the future. I'm imagining a future. I am remembering the past. None of them exist. None of them are really here. So are you saying that we should never go to the past or future? No, we should, but we should go again with the visitor's visa. We go to the past with a very perfect, clear itinerary and an expiring visa. I go to the past only for one reason, to learn. Because past has a lot of information for me. But when I go there, I'm lamenting and crying for losing a good things or not having a good things that I forget why I was there and I stay there way too long. And any depression needs a past. So depression is an extreme um, state of being in the past. And anxiety is an extreme state of being in the future, right? Mm. So I go to the past to learn. When I go there and my visa expires, my itinerary is Mitra, go learn lessons. That's it. I get my lessons. What does, and specifically about dating, what does my last dating or my last datings tell me? And pen and paper, write down, I do not wish to be, I wish to be, I am, I need, whatever it is, you write down those lessons. The only reason, by the way, for those of you who, and believe me, I see many clients who <laughs> had a young man that um, was talking about his experiences. He's a very successful, handsome, you know, my 
offices in Beverly Hills. So a lot of the archetype of that kind come to me. And he was saying how experienced he was. I said, no, you're not experienced. He said, of course I am. I said, you have only dated one person in your life. He said, that's not true, Mitra. I have dated at least 10, 20 people since I've known you. I said, oh, sorry, you've dated different people, but they are really one person because you get into a relationship in the same way. You get out out of the relationships in the same way. So you repeating one times 20 does not make you 20 times wiser. And that's exactly what I want to say. If you do not learn the lessons, you will be a one person dating 20 people really in the same way, which adds up to one relationship, really, because you haven't learned anything and you haven't grown through that. So what do I do when I go to future? I go gently with the visa and itinerary of planning. If you and I didn't plan, we wouldn't be here. But if I over planned and sat whole morning and thought about, oh my God, what am I going to say? What if she asked me? What if I don't know? What if I do? Then I would be a nervous wreck. So nervousness means that you're trying to control uh, an upcoming illusionary event. I said illusionary because uh, there is a good stat that something like 79% of things we worry about never, ever take place. So uh, my suggestion is that allow it to happen and trust that you will know what to do or even worry about it when it happened, but don't do it when it hasn't taken place. You asked really a different question. You said, how do I become present? How you become present is with the most tangible thing we all have access to, and it's called a physical body. So as you're sitting in your date, as you're driving to go to a date, feel your body on the surface that you're sitting on. Really get into the details of the sensation of having a body, meaning touch, smell, sound, seeing, whatever it is that, that feeds your sensations, connect to those sensations. There are five senses and any of those will take you out of your mind. Because if you are worrying or if you are sad, that means that you are too much in your mind. You have an activated mind. And when you go to your senses of your body, that allows you to get out of your mind and in to your body. So connect to your body and senses, connect to your breathing. Any of those will bring you back to the present moment. That's a uh, beautiful advice. I feel, I feel like we all need to try that for sure. When, you know, before a date or anything that we're doing, um, uh, I mean, are there other sort of best practices people can do for mindfulness? Cause I would say my struggle and probably most people's struggle is some, sometimes we know these things conceptually, right? We know what like, Oh, okay. Yeah think about being here, but so quickly the mind can shift. Mm -hmm. um, and especially like if somebody is bugging you, right? Like if somebody is, if you're in the middle of a fight or, um, or like I said, somebody's not treating you the way you want to be treated or loving you the way you want to be loved. Mm -hmm. We just get so caught up. And I'm always like, I, I feel like there's always this like split second moment Mm -hmm. where those decisions are made to either be present or not. Mm -hmm. 
I have a question for the person who says uh, I'm not being loved by the person that I want to be loved in the way that I want to be loved. If this is temporary, meaning it is possible that I'm distracted and sorry, I can't be that loving at that moment. But if that's an ongoing experience, I have a deeper question. Is this the right relationship for you? And I really want people to ask that. And I know everybody wants not to think about this when they really want and they're obsessing about a relationship. But unfortunately, if that is a true question for them to ask, and there is an answer that says no, sooner or later, we have to attend to that question and that answer. So I can show them how I want to be loved by loving myself the same way. By the way, people always treat you the way you treat yourself. So when I am compassionate, kind, respectful, and attentive to me, there is a good chance if the person I'm dating is the right person for me, they will learn from me. And if I'm treating myself in an unpleasant way, then there's a good chance that they're going to copy that too. But I have a deeper question. The question is, is this the right person for me? Because I can't bring this person and make them love me if their love for me is at 20 percentile and I like to be at the 80 percentile. Well, there may be something fundamental not right here, which is a beautiful thing to get curious about. Is this person the right person for me? And I would love for younger people and younger generation to start asking that question in a very loving way, not the mind judgmental way. I know we all go there from fear, but I want you to go there from awareness and asking, is this person right for me? Because of course we can't find a perfect person, but we can find a person that at the very least shares the values of love with us. That loving to them means what loving relationship to them means what relationship means to us. And if that right at the get-go is like hugely separated and far from each other, then that's a fantastic thing to look at before you get deeper into it because we think it gets easier. But as you know, the deeper we go into relationships, the harder it is to leave them if they are not a healthy one for us. Yeah. And that's definitely the question most people do not want to answer for themselves is, is this making me feel good? Is this right for me? Is this person right for me? So yeah, I uh, I hope that uh, listeners will definitely ask themselves that question you put forth. Um, what is the role of control and letting go kind of in this process of dating and mindfulness? Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> I teach a whole class on control. Control is an illusion basically. What do I have control over? I can have command, and there's a huge difference between control and command. Control means that I am trying to change something that is not really my business to change. That's control. Command means that I can really change the way I want things to change for myself. We usually, the less we command, the more we want to control. And the more we control, the less we know how to command. One thing I want everybody to command, which will completely rid them from the desire to control, is to command their thinking, rational mind. Because that's the person who, and I call it the person because it's not the aware us, it's the person who's 
living rent-free upstairs in our head and has way too much say in our life. We need to use it as a consultant. We need to use it as a person that, okay, gives us some information for survival, but hopefully in a dating scene, we're talking about thriving, not surviving. And, and that, that takes me to why am I dating? Is it need-based or is it growth-based? The problem with the need-based, and I know it's a, it's a romantic statement to say, I need you, but in essence, that's the wrong reason to be in a relationship. I need you means I cannot take care of myself, and I need you to be in my life in order to, uh, for me to survive. I know they don't use it in that context, but that's the connotation. But I am going to grow with you is a completely different set of idea for a healthy relationship. I, in fact, need no one in my life, to be honest with you. No one, including my children. I do not need them. But I would love to have them close by because they let me grow in my love, in my understanding of spirituality, in my psychology, in my business. So growing and growth-based relationship is very different than need-based. The problem about the need is once my need goes away, so does the relationship. I do not care. I have the home that I wanted. I, want, I have the title that I wanted. I wanted the ring that I wanted. I wanted to be known as married. And now, ugh, I can't believe the way you eat. I can't believe the way you snore. I don't like your style. Why do you talk like this? And all the problems come to the surface. Yeah, no, <laughs> you are very right. Um, you know, how can people or or what, you know, as we wrap up this episode, because I know um, we have to wrap up soon, but how can mindfulness like really change people's love lives and their lives in general, just so that they feel more inspired to really want to pursue this? How, what are some of the more tangible ways it, it can change people's lives? Yes. One, ask you, ask yourself, let me just give like some straightforward uh, tools, if you like. One, ask yourself, who am I? Of course, there are many aspects of you, but really ask yourself, who am I? And let the answers come to you. From there, ask yourself, what is my ideal relationship? If this is long-term, okay? One thing I did, I remember I had a young couple coming to my office and they were very, very torn whether or not they want to take it, you know, to the next step or end it. And I gave them paper and some coloring pencils. And I said, can you draw your future? And they said, what? Like, these are educated, sophisticated people. They look like they're kids. I said, just, just draw it. Just let's have fun. And it was very interesting how they drawing was very, very similar. I said, draw a scene of the life that you would like to have when you are with the right partner. And they both do something independently. One went to the corner of the office and one went to downstairs. And then they started drawing. And they were very similar. And if, if your ideal life is a social life and every night out and being here and being there in a concert and your partner says, you know, my ideal life drawing, for lack of a better word, is like sitting in the corner hand in hand reading a book 
mostly you have a major problem. You get married and like next weekend, it's a problem. One is exhausted, and I hear that all the time. And one says, oh, we're invited, and do you want to go this? And they have a ticket for the concert. And like, oh, like I'm just recovering from our wedding. And so what do you want? And what is the picture that you want before you go to the person? And then from there, so who am I? What do I want? And then who is the right person, a partner to fulfill this picture that I have? Of course, we change and we grow. That picture hopefully will change and grow with you. But if your starting point is somehow similar, then there is a better chance to go there. So that's one thing I want you to do. The second thing I want you to do is to let go of bad and good, wrong and right. That is what comes in the way of growth. There is no wrong person. There is no bad people. There is no negativity in people. It's just a matter of suitability. Go with who is suitable for me because the judgmental mind gets fed when I go to bad and good and wrong and right. There are people who would love to be with a partner that you just dropped and, and they would love to be with them. So are they wrong? Are you right? Who's wrong? Who's wrong? You go to a wrong road when you do that. But when you ask, are they suitable for me? Who's suitable for me? You get one step closer. The third thing I want to suggest is to not believe everything they think because the rational thinking mind is there for survival and being in a healthy relationship is a thriving experience. So what is good for survival is bad for thrival. I know such a word doesn't exist, but I would like it to exist. So, <laughs> so it's, these are the four major things that I can share. Of course, there I have a whole um, suitcase full of them, but to just make it memorable and, and doable, I'm going to stop at the fourth one. Yeah, those are wonderful. I'm definitely uh, working on the last one uh, is sort of my current, uh, you know, area that I feel very um, like needs more attention. But uh, it's definitely been that like our minds have been trained to help us, like you said, survive. And so it says a lot of junk and we just think it's true. And I've had to just stop and be like, oh, there's that thought again. Oh, there it is. And just say, everything's okay right now. Things are fine. Nothing's happening. And Thank then you for your opinion. Kind of, Thank yes. you for your opinion. It's <laughs> just like somebody is talking all the time and you say, Thank you for your opinion, by the way. It's like exactly what you asked. What do I do when somebody at the table is saying things that are annoying me? You say in your mind, Thank you for your opinion. I don't need to agree with you. I don't need to hear it louder than necessary. And I don't need to pay attention to it. It's the same thing with your thinking mind. It talks nonstop. It has opinions about everything. And you say, thank you. When I need your services, I will call upon you again. Yes. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Mitra, for joining us for this episode. This was so amazing. I mean, I, I feel like people are going to walk away with a lot of great information. You're not completely done. We have something called six questions. So we ask every guest the exact same six questions. So Mitra, are you ready for yours? Of course. All right, here we go. Mitra. What is the first thing you notice about a potential partner? It's a long time ago. I have to think back, but they voice. Ah, nice one. What's one deal breaker? Uh, arrogance. What turns you on? Depth. 
Ah, good one. Uh, what are one of your strengths and one of your weaknesses in relationships? What you see is what you get. In both ends. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> in both ends. I remember telling that to my partner when I met him. I said, um, have you ever gone to stores that says as is? He said, yes. I said, you know what that means? He says, like, there's something wrong. I said, uh-huh. And don't bring it back and say, I want a discount. He said, okay. <laughs> I said, I am as is. And if you don't like what you see, please let me know. I love that. Well, Mitra, what is love? Oh, love is a whole two-hour episode, but love is going home to the energy that created us and the reason you and I are alive. It was through the energy of love that creation took place. Uh, love is the fuel for everything. It's not just I need you. Love is that's why I'm here and that's why you're here. And last question, besides I love you, what three words would you want your partner to tell you? I hear you. Ooh, good one. I love it. Well, Mitra, thank you so much again for being on Kind of Dating. How can everyone find you and all your work? MitraManesh.com is the best place to go. M-I-T-R-A-M-A-N-E-S-H.com. Everything I do is there. The app, the uh, the podcast, the classes, the teachings, the store, the coaching, executive coaching, training, everything is there. I love it. And guys, this will all be in the description of this episode. So please make sure you follow her and take her classes. And just, yeah, you have a lot to learn from her. I know I have. Um, so thank you again for being on the show. A pleasure. A pleasure. I hope everybody dates mindfully and finds their partner mindfully. Oh, yes, us too. Well, guys, uh, we hope you enjoyed this episode. Please follow us on social media. We're at Kind of Dating Across the Board. I'm at Natasha Chandel on Instagram, Natasha underscore Chandel on Twitter, Natasha, on, Natasha dot Chandel on TikTok. Even I don't know anymore. Guys. Thank you for downloading this episode. Please tell a friend, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get this podcast. Also, send us your dating stories and thoughts to kindadating at gmail.com. Finally, I know it seems tough out there, but just try. Till next time. Kinda Dating is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts. Kinda Dating is created, produced, and hosted by myself, Natasha Chandel. Aisha Holden is my co-host. Adam Pineless and Karina Uribe are producers. Our opening music is composed by Joe Lorenzetti, and our logo and graphics are by Jenna Yannick and K. Daniel Ellis.